If anybody listens to this, I don't want them to think that that's what I did because it's not. I'm not the brave guy. I'm not confident. I don't have the greatest self-esteem. But what happened in 2020 was my company went bankrupt. I mean, the company that I was working for. Monday, February 3rd, 2020, they called me and they just said, hey, effective immediately, you're terminated. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I freaked out, called my wife. She was crying. Canceled all of our subscriptions, Netflix, you know, everything. Pulled my kid out of daycare. And we started like, hey, we just got our tax returns. It was, you know, February. Just got our tax returns. And I got my last paycheck. We've got this much money to make it work and get a job before we have to start pulling from savings. So let's just buckle down and make it work. And like I said, that first month I applied to 42 jobs. I didn't get a call back. And I guess the message is, like, nobody is coming for you. Nobody's coming to help you. You know, and when that happened, I started calling all my friends like, hey, man, do you know anybody that's hiring? Can you get me work? And, you know, everybody's hands went up and they're like, I, I got nothing for you, dude. And so like friends, family, all the people that I cared about, nobody could offer me any help. So I'm like, I need to self-rescue. I need to do this on my own. And it's not that I wanted to go into business for myself. I wanted a salary and a commission and a 401k and all that stuff, but it wasn't there. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and let your family struggle or are you going to figure it out? Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Really excited about our guest today, Kelly Gallagher, who's joining us. He's a franchisee with ChemDry. And this is really exciting because, again, our goal is to have a lot more franchisees on this podcast so you can learn from the source of people that it did it. They bought a business, they became a franchisee, and are now you know up and running. It's really interesting because when I looked at the notes about Kelly before he got on this show, I was really interested in what he put in the bio, which is that he lost his secure, quote unquote, secure job as a pharmaceutical sales rep at the beginning of 2020. And a month later, you know, went into the country, went into lockdown. And up until that point, he had only really been doing real estate photography part time as an attempt to supplement his feast or famine type of job with the corporate sales and pharmaceutical sales. And Kelly was applying for sales jobs, but nobody was hiring. Nobody was really answering the phone and no doors were opening. So he had to build his own door. And so at the beginning of 2022, he was looking for an investment opportunity that could possibly be related to what he was already doing. And had seen the volatility in the stock market and the crypto craze and wanted something a little bit more stable, something that he could have a little bit more control over. And so at the time, so many agents would reach out to him and ask about his schedule to tell them that they could schedule a carpet cleaning. And that gave him an idea to look into starting a carpet cleaning company. Interesting, right? Because it's not something you think of, just going to start a carpet cleaning company. And that way he could book more business at the same time. So he did a ton of research on carpet cleaning and quickly realized that he didn't know really anything about the business, what equipment to buy, what technicians to hire, really anything. And so learned about carpet cleaning franchise opportunity through ChemDry. And so Really excited to have him on this show. He's going to give a lot more about his background better than I just did. Welcome, Kelly. How are you? 
Good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So if you listen to our show, normally we let the guests do their intro. And for reasons like now, I just put your drawers. So why don't we start with your version of how you got into carpet cleaning? Yeah, yeah. So you explained it pretty well. The only kind of mistake there is I was shooting real estate photography. So for your listeners that don't really know what that is, if a realtor wants to sell a house, they start with the marketing package. And so they need to take photos. The realtors that are struggling right now are taking photos with their cell phone. And the ones that are doing well hire a photographer. And I'm one of those getting in there and applying my sales skills to build my business. Within a couple months, I became the number one real estate photographer in the country for Zillow. So I'm affiliated with Zillow. I do a lot of consulting for them. They actually just asked me to apply for their partner manager position. But the way I got into carpet cleaning was I was looking to start something else at the beginning of this year, like you said, an investment. And I was thinking, you know, all these agents were asking me, hey, what's your schedule like? When can you come take photos of my new listing? I'd say, oh, I could do it Tuesday. And then they'd say, well, it has to be after Tuesday because we're getting the carpets clean Tuesday. And, you know, I have a friend that's cleaning windows and a guy that's doing solar panels. And I have a friend that's doing blinds. And I'm like, man, I need to do something real estate related so I can leverage the relationships that I've already built over these last two years, why don't I clean the carpets if they're already asking that? And so I sat down at the computer and I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about cleaning carpets, chemicals, equipment, logistics, nothing. So I was like, okay, instead of me starting from scratch, like I did with photography, let me see if there's any carpet cleaning franchises. And I don't even remember where I went, but a, a bunch of franchises popped up and then I just started researching and ChemDry seemed to be a giant. So that's where I got started. Yeah, so no experience in carpet cleaning and that's typical of most people that get into franchising. They don't necessarily have a background in that area, but they see the need and they see that it's a good business. And so it sounds like you, for the most part, you had a lot of these relationships with realtors. And so you had a more or less somewhat easy end because you had these relationships and you saw the need in the market first and then decided that that was the route to go. I knew that I was getting into something competitive because just like real estate photography, like when I started reaching out to these realtors, I'd call them and be like, yeah, I've got a guy. I've got a guy that takes my pictures. And I'm like, of course you got a guy. I didn't expect you to be doing the level of business that you're doing and you not having a photographer, right? So when I reach out to these agents and I say, hey, I can clean your carpets. They're like, we've got a carpet guy. And so I'm used to that conversation of basically getting you to leave your boyfriend for me. <laughs> you know, It's like basically what it is. <laughs> I like that analogy. But it's interesting because for you, it's a little bit unique. You had a customer with cards in hand ready to pay. You knew that you had the realtors that could refer you in. You're already doing the work on the photography side and you could get the carpet business. So when you started, you immediately had, I guess, a pretty large web of referral partners, right? Yeah, I mean, that. I did. I did have a large, what we call sphere of influence, right? Because I already have all these contacts that I know are doing this. But just like pharma sales, and this is where this experience comes in, everybody has what we refer in pharma as prescribing behavior, prescribing habits, right? So like if you get a headache and you go to the store right now to buy something, both of you might buy something different, but it will always be the same thing that you always buy. That's your prescribing behavior. And so like these people, they have vendor relationships and every time they need a carpet clean, they call their carpet guy. And so now I need to change the behavior so that I can become the carpet guy. 
And that's where it's like not so simple. Before we get into more about the business, just for fun, like pharmaceutical sales, anything like that movie, how true is that movie about Purdue? Dope sick. Yeah, so I don't remember what year it was, but a couple of years ago, maybe early, mid-2000s or something, the FDA released something called the Sunshine Act, and that got rid of all kinds of bribery. And so our scripts are extremely regulated, and everything that we say, every claim that we make has to be substantiated on clinical trials and a certain sample size. But you know, we would lose our job if we left a pen behind because that's a bribe. But you know, the golden era of pharmaceutical sales that was kind of set by companies like Pfizer when they were doing Viagra, that was a golden era where it was like, hey, if you help me hit my quota or you prescribe so much of my product, you will have a week in Tahiti paid for by my company. That's not ethical because while a doctor might find something might suit this patient the best, they're going to prescribe what's going to benefit the doctor the best so that they can take their wife to Tahiti. And that's kind of where we were running into problems. And, and so now pharma, it's no good. It's a terrible profession where you have a very strict script where you've got basically three calling messages and you say, hey, this product is great because of A, B, and C. And when the doctor says, okay, but does it do this? Then you can say, well, like I said, it does B. And so you only have three options to speak to every concern that the doctor might have. You're, you're basically a robot. And that's what makes it super challenging. So it went from like a, like a lot of regulations, right? It went from you could do anything to now you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Never in the middle, right? Yeah. And then there's all kinds of crazy things with insurance coverage. It's a mess. How have you found franchising different from the pharmaceutical industry and from anything else you've ever done so far? Well, I think that every successful person is going to try to find analogies or commonalities in something that they're extremely familiar with so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I don't really look at the differences. I look at the similarities and try to apply my strengths to what might help me succeed in this other avenue. But the differences are, and you know, I think that this is basically who you're going to be catering to on this show. The biggest thing is autonomy, right? So like you go from something that's super strict, super regulated, GPS tracked, everything that you do on your iPad is geocached and time-stamped to the fullest autonomy in the world because you're a business owner all the way to 11, 17 a.m. the day after Halloween, I'm sitting in my room doing a podcast. And I can do that if I want to because I work for myself. So I think that's the biggest difference. I like the agility to analyze things and take a step back like, hey, let's try this. This might work. And if you don't, if it doesn't work, let's see why it didn't work and try something else. Whereas when you work for a corporation or a manager, you have to stick to their agenda. No doubt. I mean, there's so many ways we can take this, which is fun. Well, let's talk a little bit about before we dive into, I guess, we could talk about the day to day and what you what you do and keys to success, that sort of thing, how your experience has been so far. But even before that, I am just curious, you know, why ChemDry? And what was that buying process looking like for you? I mean, how did that progress? Yeah, so like I said, I sat down and I started doing research about carpet cleaning and upholstery and wood floor tile, stuff like that. And the more I read, the more I realized I don't know anything. I mean, I'm not even great at cleaning my own house. So I'm like, all right, how can I do this without teaching myself everything? And the answer was franchises. But when I started looking at franchises, 
there were a couple of things in particular that I was looking for. I wanted to find something where the franchise had exclusivity or something proprietary. And the great thing about ChemDry is it started over 45 years ago from a chemistry student. I think he was going to BYU at the time, but he's from California. And he like spilled something on his tie and he remembered that his mom said that carbonation would help get it out. And so he did find that carbonation would get it out. And the more research that he did as a chemist, the more he found how to clean the best. And he found that he could do it without using any harsh chemicals. This process called HCE or hot carbonated extraction. And so we can talk about the science of it later. But basically, he built this extremely successful company and then started franchising it out. And then, like I said, I looked at how big it was, how powerful it was, how big of a network it had, how many people I could lean on when I needed help. And they've got 4,000 franchises worldwide. And yeah, they're all over the world. So I was like, okay, these guys are pretty strong. If something happens, I'm not reaching out to a mom and pop in you know Peoria, Illinois, who might not answer the phone if it's too late. That makes sense, man. So that's why ChemDry. Yeah. That makes sense. So with every franchise buying process, so typically you have, you know, it's multi-stage, right? Probably an initial brand overview on the first call. Then they're going to go over unit economics. They'll give you the FDD. And then you get to talk to franchisees. So what was that experience like talking to franchisees? And in terms of, for the audience anyway, for people that are thinking about buying a franchise, what advice would you give them? And how did you go about really vetting and validating and doing due diligence on the franchise? And especially relating to talking to the actual franchisees? Yeah, so they didn't let me talk to any franchisees. Oh, interesting. And so ChemDry, like I said, everything that they do is super proprietary, NDAs, all kinds of crazy stuff. And they wouldn't let me talk to anybody until I signed the contract and made a deposit. And at that point, you're kind of like past the point of no return, right? But I knew that I wanted to do carpet and upholstery cleaning. I knew that I needed a franchise to do it because I don't have the time to teach myself. And I don't want to make risky investments on equipment. I want something that's been tried and proven for decades, right? I wanted something that's already generating millions of dollars a year. And I know that the success of this business, just like the success of my photo business, would depend on population density. Because the more people there are, the more people I could call on. And, you know, I might be a little bit ahead of us, but I bought two territories so that my total population on my is 1.8 million people. And I wanted that as broad as possible because that's a lot of strikes that I can get without kind of being like, okay, there's nothing else I could do. Like it is what it is. Right. But yeah, I was confident in myself. And I think that that's probably the biggest message that I would have for prospective franchisees is if you know that the brand is strong, which most people have heard of ChemDry. They might not know what it is, but they've seen a van at some point in their life. So there is brand recognition there. That means that it's strong, right? From there, I don't really care about anything else because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's responsible for generating all the revenue. And so as long as I know I have the work ethic and I can bet on myself, I'll win. I love that, man. I think a lot of people, they're looking for a silver bullet and they think that if I just find the perfect brand, I'm just going to fork over some money to them. And then I'm just going to have money flown in to my checking account. And it's all going to be great. But I love that you just take ownership of it. That look, as long as the brand is good, it's stable. They have a good name. They have good systems and processes. As long as that's taken care of, 
if I do my part, I can win here. And I think that any winner that you probably know, any winner that I know, they take full responsibility of their success and their failure. So it's interesting to kind of hear your mindset for sure. Yeah. And one other thing, just touching on that as well. When I was a kid, something that I didn't really understand, my papa said, it's easy to be average. You don't even have to try. But if you put in a little bit of effort to just become slightly above average, I'm not talking 97th percentile or anything, but just a little bit above average, it's not that hard. And you're miles ahead of the competition. So like you take a franchise like Chick-fil-A, for example, it is probably one of those silver bullet mentalities where like if you build it, it'll come. But what people don't understand is that there's other things too, like efficiency and effectiveness and making sure that your margins are good and building a strong team with a good culture and a bunch of people that are happy to work there, that are eager to go to work for you, that are eager to problem solve, that are happy at work so that they treat people well. All that stuff is above and beyond what's in the core paperwork of probably every franchise. I mean, most people will say service with a smile, but... The way that you treat people that work for you and the way that you treat people that pay you ultimately will, I think, make a bigger determination on your success. And that's stuff beyond just like, hey, is this a good idea? It really resonates with me what you're saying, Kelly. Like, it's free to be kind and on time and dress well and pay people quickly if they're an employee or, you know, all these things that are free to do and just a little extra effort. My favorite CEO. Bob Eggers, or former CEO of Disney. And I really like something he says, which is that he didn't go to an Ivy League school. He didn't consider himself as smart as a lot of the people that he worked with in his career as an executive. But what propelled him was his optimism and his hard work. You know, he's up at four and he's in the office at you know, six or whatever. And that's it. Like optimism and hard work, which are both free to do, right? You don't need any extra money. You don't have to be any smarter to do it. So I really like what you're saying. You're standing out. You don't have to be the 97th percentile, but just do a little bit more than the average. Yeah, exactly. I had a question. Before we were recording, you are talking about buying the franchise. And you mentioned being creative with how to get financing and how you were able to purchase two territories. Would you maybe shine a little light on how you did that? Yeah, yeah. So to get started with ChemDry, they want to see seventy dollars to $80,000 liquidity in your bank account to even move on with the conversation. All my money has been tied up in investments. You know, like most people, I don't carry a large balance in my bank account. And then you got to buy a van. And I don't know if you guys have shopped for vehicles lately, but they're like insane, right? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, how am I going to show liquidity? And they won't let businesses buy a franchise. It has to be a person. So what I did was I got a personal loan And I got a business loan with the photography company because we're incorporated. And I even borrowed $10,000 from my father-in-law. And I put that all in a bank account. As soon as the deposits showed on my statement, took a screenshot, sent it over to them. I'm like, hey guys, I'm cash rich. (laughs) (laughs) And And they're like, okay, great. We can move forward. And then I returned all the money. And we got started and you know, I didn't want stuff that was going to impact my credit. So I tried to finance as much of it as I could under small business loans through the company. And yeah, you just kind of get tricky with that stuff. But the other thing that a lot of people I think don't realize is that even if it's borrowed money, any purchases that you make are tax deductions. You know, and I don't want to get into tax advice or anything, but because of ChemDry and 
the truck that I bought this year in Camry equipment, I like to keep my write-offs in excess of my gross income. And that's another huge benefit of being a franchisee. I love that, man. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. What stood out to me is you were looking for reasons and you were finding reasons to move forward, to do it. And you were being creative, which I think at the end of the day, if you're a creative problem solver, that's one of the number one things that you're doing as a business owner day in and day out. So that's really interesting the way that you did that. I think as a business owner, a very small amount of people understand what you just said about making those those write-offs or those investments. Like I know for me, this year, if I have an opportunity to invest capital into my own business, where I know that I'm going to control the return, I know what I'm going to get eventually someday if I sell it, I know that I'm in control of it. Why wouldn't you want to put capital into that? And you get the tax benefit, right? Like you're getting a write-off and you're putting it into your business, which is going to multiply the return. And when someday when you sell it, if you structured your business properly, it's a capital gain. So it's even more of a return. I mean, that's what the rich people are doing. Look at like Bezos. Like he's living off of, he's getting loans against his shares of Amazon that he's living off of. Yeah, he's paying interest, but he's living tax-free. And someday he'll sell the company and then pay capital gains. But like there's so many loopholes on the smaller level like us and then on that higher level. But I think that's really smart what you did there. You borrowed some money, got the franchise, gave it back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that like, it's easy to look at people like Bezos or Musk or these multi-gazillionaires. And when you kind of break that down to the guy next door, they're like, well, yeah, but you know, look how much he has. And I, I try to show people examples of the common person. And so like, yeah, we, we've got all these great tax breaks and everything. Like another example is that last year I had an Airstream made to order for me. And most people are like, oh, an Airstream, like, yeah, but I don't want to buy a $100,000 trailer or whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't want to buy one either. I just want to own one. <laughs> you know. So what I did with that was I bought it under the company. People don't know that because it's a domicile, they finance like a house. I financed it for 20 years. I put it under the business because I just say, hey, you know, I did an out of area photo shoot. I had to stay overnight or for the weekend or whatever. I'm working out of this thing. I've got Starlink. So I'm boosted high-speed internet so I can still make my sales calls out of it. It's a business expense, you know? And that's a deduction against my income. And, you know, my family uses it 90% of the time. And the payments on it are like 300 bucks because of how long I drew out the financing. And people don't realize this. I'm driving this badass trailer around and I'm like, dude, I'm not paying for it. But another thing about the whole tax deduction thing that people don't understand is that borrowed money isn't taxed because it's not earned income. Right. So one of my friends was saying, Hey, why are you going to borrow money to purchase the franchise? Why don't you just wait a little bit and save money and use your money? And I'm like, Look, man, if I want to show $100,000 in my bank account, it might take me a year to do that. Or I can borrow it. I could start right now. I could start earning money immediately. Like, how much earnings would I miss out on if I waited that year till I had the capital? Infinite. It's uncomprehendable. That's what a the interest is worth it. I go through that too, Kelly. Like I, I sold my business in May and people say to me, oh, why don't you sit around? Why don't you take some time to think? Why don't you just wait a year, two years? 
And I explained them. First of all, I know what I was making my last business, right? So compound that, multiply that by every month. I'm not making that. And not only am I not making that money, but I'm losing the money that's coming out of my account. Why the hell am I going to sit around for a year plus compound what you someday you sell your, your business, whatever you're making now, go sell it, then divide how many years you had it by what you made, add what you made and what you sold, and then divide that. It's a ton of money. Yeah. And you know, for you to sit around and wait, why not just pay interest, get the loan? I think too many people are afraid of debt because we're taught like debt is bad. Yeah, debt on a Ferrari that you can't afford or a BMW you can't afford, that's bad debt. But debt that you got is productive debt. It's an income-producing asset. Right, yeah, business debt. Exactly. Business debt is completely different. Yeah, and what you have to think about too is there's an opportunity cost. If you put 100% of your liquidity or most of it most franchises don't want you to put 100% in. But if you put in a ton of your liquidity, well, then any other opportunity when it arises, you don't get to jump on that because you're not liquid. So if you use a little bit of liquidity, finance the rest, you still have that money set aside to put into other areas and other opportunities as they arise or to invest back into the business. But you're also getting a better cash-on-cash return. If I invest $100,000 all cash, no debt, and I make 50000 in a year, well, that's a decent enough return. But if I invest 20,000 and I make 40 or 30, you know, it's, there's different ways to do it in terms of, and you could have a larger cash on cash return. But I love the way you think. And I'm just curious, where did you learn all this? TikTok? No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> just, just, no, just kind of doing it. And, you know, I think that something that, that I want to share is that there's a lot of people out there that talk to me that, they're like, hey, man, I wish I could do what you're doing or it's awesome. I think you're so brave and it's it's really cool that you started your own business and took bet on yourself and everything. If anybody listens to this, I don't want them to think that that's what I did because it's not. I'm not the brave guy. I'm not confident. I don't have the greatest self-esteem. But what happened in 2020 was my company went bankrupt. I mean, the company that I was working for. Monday, February 3rd, 2020, they called me and they just said, hey, effective immediately, you're terminated. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I freaked out, called my wife. She was crying, canceled all of our subscriptions, Netflix, you know, everything, pulled my kid out of daycare. And we started like, hey, we just got our tax returns. It was, you know, February, we just got our tax returns and I got my last paycheck. We've got this much money to make it work and get a job before we have to start pulling from savings. So let's just buckle down and make it work. And like I said, that first month I applied to 42 jobs, I didn't get a call back. And I guess the message is, like nobody is coming for you. Nobody's coming to help you. You know, and when that happened, I started calling all my friends like, hey man, do you know anybody that's hiring? Can you get me work? And you know, everybody's hands went up and they're like, I, I got nothing for you, dude. And so like friends, family, all the people that I cared about, nobody could offer me any help. So I'm like, I need to self-rescue. I need to do this on my own. And it's not that I wanted to go into business for myself. I wanted a salary and a commission and a 401k and all that stuff, but it wasn't there. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and let your family struggle or are you going to figure it out? You just figure it out. And so like I taught myself how to fish, I guess. And that's how I got here. But it wasn't because this was ever what I wanted to do. So like, how did you learn this? Well, I learned it because I care about my wife and I care about my kids. And I just figured it out, man, because I had to. Nobody was going to help me. Dude, that gave me chills. You got me pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible, man. I mean, 
it's true. I mean, necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, sometimes these things happen in our lives that happen for a reason. And, you know, maybe it's not ideal or we think it's not ideal in the moment, but looking back on it, we realize, dang, that was the moment that really was the spark of it all, which I just find tremendous. But before we wrap up here, I did want to dive in a little bit in terms of, you know, what do you do on a day-to-day basis for ChemDry? Like, what does your business look like? I mean, obviously you still have your other business as well, right? So what does your day typically look like? What are you doing? Are you doing the actual carpet cleaning? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I've got two really good friends, Mike Devaney and Clay Wanger, and they offered to help me with the the franchise. So they're my crew running the van. They're doing everything. They've got uniforms. The van stays at Mike's house. They've got all the equipment, everything. So I basically just do the sales and logistics, and they're completely running the business for me. But day to day, you know, when you start a business like this, they tell you to write a list. They call it your hundred list, and those are the people that you have good relationships with. That you have their phone numbers, and you start reaching out to them and tell them, "Hey, I started this business. Keep us in mind." And then I just kind of look at marketing ideas and. A lot of them come from ChemDry and a lot of them are actually what they recommend. And because I'm a sales and marketing guy, I look at them and I change them. And I just got off a marketing call with them today. And I'm like, hey, guys, like I think this is a huge miss. And I explained how I think that their idea is bad and how it could be improved. And they're implementing it. Like the whole company is implementing what this, you know, I'm not doing much, but just stuff like that. And you know, just making sure everything's going smoothly, following up with people. But really just, I'm still in the awareness phase where I need optics. I need people to know that I exist and call me. So it's like that top of mind thing. How do I become top of mind? One of the things that I've been doing that I get from pharma is called hyperfrequenting. And so instead of like farming a different neighborhood in Santa Clarita every week, what I do is I go back to the same neighborhood every two weeks, but the same neighborhood. And right now I'm only farming two neighborhoods. I hit this one and then the next week I hit this other one. And then the next week I go back because it takes so many touches to change somebody's prescribing behavior. And so that's kind of, you know, above and beyond phone calls and ads and social media. I'm like, you know, I got to take control of the whole self-rescue thing. So I've been door knocking. Heck yeah, man. I love that hustle. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. And and it works, you know, if, if you're planting seeds and over time as you build relationships, people will use you. Yep. I love that, man. And for those of you that don't know, that are maybe listening from other states, he's talking about Santa Clarita, California. It's a nice suburban town. Well, in California, right outside of LA. If you've seen Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix, that's us. Super suburban. Everyone and their mom is a real estate license. But it's a cool town. It's a cool place to live. Dan, anything else you want to ask before we wrap this up? No, I think this was a great time together. I think you could like drop the mic when you went through the whole reason you started the business. I thought that was really well said. I think a lot of us feel that way about making a living, right? There's no one else out there for you to make it happen. So Kelly, anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, yeah. I guess one thing that I want to say, like I was talking about these marketing campaigns that ChemDry recommended that weren't working for me, you know? I'll make this example pretty quick, but I've got a promotion that we've been running that's three rooms for $150, Right. And that three rooms for $150, if we charged the normal price, it'd be $315. So these people are getting basically $165 off. But the thing is, when you tell them what it costs, the discounted price, they don't realize how much they're saving. So I was telling ChemDry, like, why don't you just say $100 off your services instead of what it actually costs? Now, if I did those same rooms and gave them $100 off, I'd be saving 
65 bucks, right? It's actually a 60% less discount, but everybody knows how far $100 gets you. So instead of saying, hey, it only costs this, now, because they don't know what it would cost normally, I say, hey, book our services, here's a coupon for 100 bucks. And like, whoa, I'm saving so much now. And so I guess my point there, what I want to leave off on is do what works until it doesn't work and then pivot. I think that there's a lot of people that they get so attached to their dog that they refuse to bury it once it dies. And it's like, hey, man, I know he gave you a lot of great years and happiness and all that stuff, but he's gone now. Time to move on. Put him in the ground. Figure out what else works. Buy a new one. Train one. Rescue one. Help somebody else with theirs. But people want to stick to these habits that don't work anymore. And that's kind of what I'm doing with real estate and helping people is like, hey, I've never made an Instagram reel. I've always just gotten my business because it's come to me. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's slowed down, dude. It's time to pivot. So for new franchisees, if something's not working, don't keep doing it. Bury that dog, man. Find something else. Try something else. Yeah, my takeaway from that is it sounds like, you know, you're doing the system, you're following the system, but you're also suggesting to ChemDry, hey, here are ways that we could potentially improve the system. Let me run it by you. And it sounds like they like the idea. It sounds, it makes sense to me. And I think a lot of people, they think when they think of franchising, they think of it as being super bureaucratic and there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. I mean, and especially for companies large as ChemDry, you know, a lot of people would probably assume, oh, they're not going to take any insight or feedback from one of their franchisees, especially a relatively newer one. But it's awesome that they did. You know, they have to maintain brand standards, but it's really cool to hear that they listen to you. And again, that you're willing to pivot and you're willing to do what's necessary in order to succeed. Yeah. It's funny. I realized in talking to you that like my dog died like spring and I've been carrying it around. It's dead. And I just carry it around with me. Me and my old business. Like, yeah, yeah. Come on, stand back up. We could, you've been so comfortable to me since I was like 22. It's all I know. And how could I possibly be good at anything else? I mean, this is it, right? Right. And it's funny because I, I like that analogy because I recently buried my dog, if you will, to go find... And yeah, there's other animals. There's other dogs. There's other cats. You cannot have an animal. You can, you know, you know, like you said, rescue one in this analogy of a new business. But it's a great way to put it. I love it. If someone wants to get in touch with you, Kelly, for any reason, what's the best way? LinkedIn, Facebook, email? Probably just my phone number. You know, they can call me, text me, or Instagram. I'm not big on LinkedIn. And the biggest thing for me is that the two businesses that I have, I'm really geographically bound, right? So like, if there's somebody that really, really wants to hire me in San Diego, they might as well be in Detroit because I can't go down there. I'm not going to do it. Like marketing on LinkedIn or, or running sponsored ads in these huge geographic regions, it doesn't make sense. I stick to... LA County and Ventura County. And if you want to pay me a bunch of money to take my Airstream somewhere else, then I'll take the money. But yeah, Instagram is really actually the best. If it's somebody that's listening out of area and wants some advice or pick my brain or figure out how to find tax loopholes or something like that. But my Instagram is Kelly Gallag and it's K-E-L-L-E-Y-G-A-L-L-A-G. I wanted to get super creative and use my first name and the first six letters of my last name. Nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> I love it. Well, simple. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Really appreciate you coming on. This was an incredible episode. I think this is, for me, one of my favorites for sure. I know there's a lot of value in here for people that are existing franchisees and that are looking at buying a franchise, even for franchisors as well. 
So thanks again for coming on, man. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Do all the good stuff. Subscribe, share, leave a review, and we'll see you on the next episode. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.